up, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Bingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week is class of 1974, Dr. Gary Kappel. Uh, we're going to talk about everything from Dr. Kappel's early life, how he got to Bethany, all the way through to 2019 when he finished his career here at Bethany, um, and everything in between. So without further ado, uh, Dr. Gary Kappel. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week is Dr. Gary Kappel, class of 1974. Dr. Kappel, thank you for being here. I'm happy to um, be here. I normally would have tea, but we talked earlier. You, you, you right. prefer mm -hmm. the water. So um, we're going to do this the way we do it every week. Dr. Kappel is going to tell us about how he got to Bethany, his time as a student at Bethany, comps. We'll take a break, come back, and then it'll be the other half of being at Bethany as a professor. So... How did you find Bethany it, coming from New Martinsville, West Virginia? Right. Uh, I was born in New Martinsville, West Virginia, which is about 35 miles south of Wheeling. Uh, and I was raised in the Disciple Church. So Bethany was always in my ken. I mean, every year we professors from Bethany would come and preach a sermon every once in a while, Harry Gresham and Bob Sanders Cox and so on. And then when I was in the youth group, uh, I think the first time I came to Bethany uh, was in the summer of 64 uh, for uh, church camp, uh, retirement camp. And then mm -hmm. when I was in high school, CYF conference and so on. So I always knew about Bethany from, from that connection. Um, New Martinsville was a great place to grow up. It was a small town. father was a uh, minister in Talbot Park, uh, PG, mm -hmm. drive past him as you yep. go down south on Route 2. Um, that's really, but he was, he was one of 10 children, uh, seven of whom stayed in New Martinsville. Uh, so a big family. Oh yeah, huge. Aunts, uncles, cousins all over the place. And we had big family gatherings all the holidays, especially 4th of July, we had a picnic at Chaz and Nona's, the oldest, mm -hmm. Chaz was the oldest one, the oldest and then Thanksgiving, we had at our house, and we would have 35 people for dinner for Thanksgiving. We'd get tables from the church and uh, chairs and that kind of stuff. Um, so it was a good, you know, good place to grow up. Mm -hmm. Always knew about Bethany. Um, several of my closest friends uh, decided to come to Bethany in 1970. We graduated from high school in 1970. And uh, Steve Ratcliffe and David Jolliffe, mm -hmm. in particular, I, on the other hand, uh, went to WVU, and uh, I was originally a forestry major. I hmm. really hadn't put a whole lot of thought <laughs> into uh, into what I was going to major in, and in seventh grade, I had said, you know, I kind of like forestry, uh, and I was a Boy Scout and all that stuff. And, that was the... and, and so, you know, so I ended up in the forestry program at WVU, <laughs> and it was okay. I, mean, I did okay my, my first year. Uh, Sophomore year, first semester of my sophomore year, I started to get deeper into it. And we had agronomy, which is chemistry of plus soils, dendrology of angiosperms, which is tree edification, uh, civil engineering, that kind of stuff. And I realized this is really not what I want to do. Um, I had always been active in theater and music when I was in high school because uh, I was a terrible athlete. Um, I had no hand-eye coordination. <laughs> I was tall, so I had to play basketball, but, you know, I tripped over the foul line. Or 
<laughs> court. Uh, I played football one year, and that was a disaster. I lettered in golf. Well, yeah, you know, and uh, that sort of thing. But uh, I had a first tenor voice, so I got to sing and everything because I was talented, you know, uh, and act and so on. And I hadn't, I didn't get a chance to do any of that at, at WVU. And by the end of the first semester of my sophomore year, it was like, this is really not what I want to do. Uh, what I really should be is an English major. But what I really want to do is have a sometime career. I knew that kind of life was going on, and I knew it here at Bethany through David and Steve and stuff. Uh, and so I convinced my parents to allow me to transfer. Uh, and I came here in the fall of my junior year. Um, Miss McGuffey, who was the chairman of the English department for many years at the time, always considered me bad blood, not a true Bethanian, because uh, I was a transfer. I was not a, a native Bethanian for practical reasons. Uh, but when, when the time came, she said, she said, I've done that. Uh, um, that sort of thing. So um, in the fall of 72, uh, I transferred to Bethany. And uh, I was an English major. And over the course of the next two years, I, my life was transformed. Uh, I, mean, I, I say I'd grown up in a small town in West Virginia and that sort of thing. And I went to WVU and I majors, and they were all from small towns in West Virginia. Uh, so it was virtually the same kind of thing. And I came here, and there were all kinds of people that I'd never met before, never been around. Preppies, you know, we had no preppies. You know, that was kind of, a couple of kids went to Lindsley, which in those days was a military school, the Lindsley Military Institute, LMI, the little white community. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, that, that sort of thing, because I didn't know prep school people. And so when I came to Bethany, that was an experience. But more importantly, of course, it opened up whole new worlds to me. Um, Martinsville was, uh, I would say, a wonderful place to grow up. It was also a period of good uh, in terms of its horizons. Uh, and on a lot of the really important issues of the day. I'm not sure I'd say this, but I will. When I was in high school in the 1960s, we still had minstrel shows. And I don't even know whether you know what that was or not. But uh, when a bunch of white guys dressed up in blackface. Oh, yeah, uh, and um, while I never appeared in blackface myself, I was in the chorus for a couple of you know, a couple of yeah. minstrel shows, and I saw nothing wrong with it. It was just part of the casual racism uh, that, was, I had, that, that I had grown up with, yeah. you know, in, in, in that sort of thing. Well, I was already beginning to move in other directions, and WVU was good for that. Uh, but when I came to Bethany, it really was a transforming experience. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, my professors, nobody was interested in my athletic ability or anything. They, they were interested in what I thought, perhaps more accurately, how I thought, yeah. uh, and how I might think a little better if I you know, put a little effort in yeah. there, <laughs> uh, um, that sort of thing. And so um, by the time I you know, graduated, I, I had, you know, this had become uh, my, my true As I say, I was an English major, but I was also extremely active in the theater. I, was in, I wasn't an actor for very much. I did a few things, uh, but I was mostly in the technical. And at that time, David Judy, uh, was a professor that named David Judy in those days, uh, and a man named Steve Rader was the technical director. And we did killer shows. 
before a semester. And uh, that was also a very transformative experience for me. And there were members of the faculty as well who, who worked very closely with us. Uh, David Seidman, who was a physics professor. He was also a Bethanian. He graduated probably about 1960, 61. Uh, uh, Tony Mitch um, and others uh, all were active in the theater. John Taylor, uh, my senior year, we did The Importance of Being Earnest, which I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I think you've heard about that for a while. John played Lady Bracknell in drag as the great Victorian matron, and he was absolutely stunning. Yes. We did it out at the Millsop Center, I don't, you know, when the leadership's not here. Mm -hmm. It's closed now. Yeah. We did it in the round, um, and John, in my, if you, if you have a 1974 yearbook, you know, very early in, a few pages in, you will see a full-page picture of John Taylor uh, in his Lady Bracknell regalia. Uh, and he would say he was just stunning. And so it was a whole new world uh, for me. Uh, my classes, um, my junior year, I was sort of catching up being an English major uh, uh -huh. because I, you know, in one, so I was reading a lot. And by my, my senior year, I really began to realize that I was more interested in the times than I was in the work. In other words, I was more interested in what the author was trying to say about his own time. Than you were about... Uh, about the book itself yeah. and the literary criticism and so on. And particularly after I took literary, we had lit, lit crit was, was required, yes. uh, of course, in Grimes' life. And this, fortunately, was just before postmodernism and deconstruction hit. And I don't know whether you're familiar with those movements or not, but, you know, it's absolute bosh. But even before then, I began to realize that this was really not what I wanted. Um, I, uh, I applied for graduate school, and I was accepted a couple of times, North Carolina at ODU. Uh, but, you know, I've been going to school for several I wasn't really sure that I wanted to continue with, with English. Um, and so I decided that I would take a little time off. Um, but what I learned, the most important lesson I learned as a student at Bethany was there will always be a hell of a lot more that I don't know than I do know. Uh, and once you realize that, you'll never be bored. You're bored, it's your own fault. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes students would say, oh, I'm so bored, it's so boring here, there's nothing to do. So if you've got a library with 200,000 books in it, okay, if you're bored, it's your own fault, okay? It's, Bethany's not boring, you're boring. Um, well, so let's <laughs> let's talk about some of the, well, the other experiences that you okay. had at Bethany, because there were, at your time, there was, there, the concerts were oh yes, were uh, phenomenal. I mean, absolutely, were... we had great music. Well, and it was all due to Miss Nick, okay, to Darlene Nicholson, Dean Darlene, um, and we had uh, you know concerts, uh, big name shows, but also little shows. We we had the Pittsburgh Chamber Orchestra played here every year. We had dance companies. We had a j we had jazz singers. Uh, so there was uh, there was just stuff to do going all the time exactly, and we would have concerts out at at the field house, mm -hmm. and you know uh, I you know 
Livingston Taylor. Uh, we used to joke that you you saw people at Bethany either on the way up or on the way down. Okay, <laughs> well we we couldn't necessarily afford people at the, at the peak. Yeah, but and it, part of it, of course, was and this was still true when I came back to teach. We can talk about that too. Um, the small schools in West Virginia would form a consortium and they would book these acts. And so you know they played Bethany one night, Wheeling one night. Uh, uh, Wesleyan, yeah. you know, D&E, and so on, and they would just make a week of it, and that, and that sort of thing. And so uh, we had a lot more stuff. But Darlene was also really good at getting uh, small shows, uh, comedians, uh, folk singers in Maxwell. So there would only be 30 or 40 people there. Uh, but it was a great evening. Yeah. Uh, my, my senior year, Jose Greco, I don't know whether you know, he was a great flamenco dancer. They performed in Steinman Hall, and uh, we were we ran the follow spots for him and his dancers, and that was a real challenge, huh. uh, uh, and that sort of thing. So uh, it was really a, those kind of. We also had a lecture series uh, where we had my, my senior year, uh, Anthony Herbert, who was uh, much one of the most decorated uh, soldiers. Uh, members of the armed forces to come out of uh, Vietnam who became completely disenchanted with the whole thing and and, and put it all in a book. Uh, uh, and that's with Betty Shabazz, mm -hmm. the widow of uh, Malcolm X. Uh, Harlan Ellison, uh, a uh, science fiction writer. Um, when you So you brought up growing up in, a, in, a, in an area where it, it was almost... I don't want to say indoctrinated to you, but the, the race, the, the, the well, borderline, it was just underlying. Yeah, it wasn't indoctrinated. It was just part right. of the atmosphere. Right, you just absorbed it. So yeah. you bring up Malcolm White's, or mm -hmm. Malcolm X, well, mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. words, English. Uh, you bring up Malcolm X's at, uh, widow. Mm -hmm. and, and for that time period, that's got to be huge to have oh, her here in, in, in a small town in West Virginia speaking to what I would assume is probably a predominantly Over, white group. Yes, we and, were pretty lily white in those days. <laughs> so, uh, if, if you were, uh, if you saw a, a, a person of color walking across campus, it almost certainly was not an African American. It was probably uh, someone who had been recruited to play uh, soccer, and you would get a very proper British or English finishing school accent, which was a bit of a throw as well. <laughs> but what the, the most important thing about the Shabazz thing, Larry Grimes was teaching at that time an, inter an interdisciplinary course, and everyone had to take one. Mm -hmm. uh, Richard Kenny taught Nazism, uh, and Larry taught Black Man and the American Dream. Uh, and you would talk about it, the thing, you know, a bunch of you know, middle-class white kids uh, trying to really get into the black experience. And this is the early 1970s. But it was, again, and it opened up a whole new world to me. The Harlem Renaissance, uh, uh, James Baldwin, Ralph Ellison, um, all of these. We, we used as, a, as one of our texts John Hope Franklin's From Slavery to Freedom, which is still the premier history of uh, African Americans in this country. Uh, and in later years, uh, when I was teaching here, we would show uh, the, uh, Charles Kuralt, who see this guy, like you do, uh, did a wonderful hour-long uh, 
interview with John Hope Franklin, who was at that point already in his time. Uh, and we would show that to our junior history majors, which I think were as one of the things I taught in college, uh, that sort of thing. So, yes, it, it was bringing whole new areas of the world uh, in, in Tibetan. Um, that's the thing. I mean, it, we sometimes feel as though we're isolated here, uh, but we're not. We are, we're in our own, we're, we're in the true, in my opinion, we're in the true sense of the, what Alexander Campbell wanted. You're away from a lot of the distractions. Mm -hmm. Your distractions here are whatever your vice is. If it's, if you're involved heavily in Greek life, you're, that's where you are. If you're involved heavily in athletics, that's where you are. If you're involved in theater or, or whatever right. your mm -hmm. field is, you have that isolation to, that's what you're going to do. It's just how do you manage your time and. Mm -hmm. You know, all the things that, as a, as a professor, I'm sure you explain to first-year students, that, you know, you got a lot of free time. Exactly. Use it the right, right way. Right. Exactly. You know? Oh, yes, that's one of the, you know, freshman seminar speeches. Yeah, you're going to have more free time than you've ever had in your life. Uh, but it's not really free. Right? So there are lots of things, there are lots of things to do. Uh, and you can very easily burn yourself out. And, and as you say, you need to manage that. And that's really the problem for most students mm -hmm. when they first came would be managing that fact and the fact that nobody was going to be there nobody's waking you up and saying yeah, get on the bus where where were, where are you going who are you going with and mm -hmm. you're going back okay uh and that can be very disconcerting for, for people um, so i have two parts left okay. we're going to get to comps but okay. you brought up a guy and i'm actually in the process of getting dr grimes on the show mm -hmm. as well he's as I told Ken Morgan, there's a Mount Rushmore of Bethany, and mm -hmm. I, I have check marks that I'm going off of. That's my Mount Rushmore. It's mm -hmm. you, Larry. If Bob Sanderfox was still alive, he would 100% be on that. Uh, Ken, because mm -hmm. you know Jack is one of those. Jack Hoffman is one of those guys, just a Bethany figure. Um, what was it like? Because I, I mean, I know Dr. Grimes from mm -hmm. from being out the sig and interacting right. with mm -hmm. him, and in, in many ways, I still like, we still talk periodically. Um, but what was it like having him as a professor? Oh, Larry was brilliant in the classroom. Everybody wants to know that. Uh, and he was constantly making you look at things from a new and different perspective. Or uh, another way to say it, I, I, one of my one of kids who graduated with me, who lived in, the, in Larry's apartment in the mm -hmm. basement of his house down there, uh, WC, WC was Larry and Helen Louise taught us how to read a text properly, how to read it closely, uh, how to uh, tease out of it uh, the full extent of the meaning. Uh, and that's a, a skill that is transferable to anything. Um, and Larry was very good at that sort of thing. And also, a very, I'll say this because I, I in some ways, He's, yeah, he's got um, and, and he, as a matter of fact, my second semester of my senior year, I directed uh, a reader's theater uh, show, uh, the, tra uh, the Tragedy of Tragedies, or The Life and Death of Tom Thumb the Great, by Henry Fielding, of all people. And Larry performed in that for me. Um, and so, no, to be in the classroom with Larry was just you know, phenomenal. And, of course, he became a great mentor and guide to me when I teach as well. Um, and always had time. 
Well, for example, I can remember we were, we read the, the autobiography of Robert Ellis when we were in the class at American Dream, and I remember going down to his house on a Saturday afternoon and saying, "I'm really going to talk about Robert Ellis um, because there's a whole passage there." That's a crazy thought in and of itself. I mean, I had I had the opportunity in my time at Bethany. I you know I got to know Dr. Grimes. I got to know uh, Walt Turner, mm-hmm. um, Bill Hicks, and they were very open to. Have, we we never had a class together. I think we had a seminar mm-hmm. once, but <clears throat> so. Um, but I had the opportunity where I could go down and ask these questions, mm-hmm. and I've heard I had heard those stories coming into Bethany of how. Mm-hmm. That's what the town was. Is the professors lived in town. You exactly. went down. Right. You talked to them. Mm-hmm. You, you had a question. Bring it to me. Right. Um, and that's something I guess I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna push. Actually, now I just thought about it, I'm gonna push that off because I just came okay. up with a question for when you're as a teacher what okay. you saw. Um, and I want to get the comps so that we can. Okay. Uh, so comprehensive exams. Okay. Well, my senior <laughs> year, there I there were twenty at least twenty English majors. Remember when my. There were 1,100 students here, more mm-hmm. than double what we have known is now, so lots of people. And 20-plus English majors, and I was one of the dumber ones. Uh, and none of us had been allowed, had been able to take comps in January because uh, of that lit crit class, because Larry hadn't taught it the year before, mm-hmm. uh, and only one person had taken it as a sophomore, and so she took it. She took her comps in January and, then everybody and got else. distinction. And so all the rest of us had to take our comps in the spring. Well, um, when the time came, it was May, you know, because we, we had four, we had a four-week January term in those days. So the second semester went right up to <coughs> basically uh, commencement was, mm-hmm. uh, excuse me, uh, Memorial Day weekend. So it was beautiful weather and what have you. And John, uh, David Jolliffe and I lived in John Taylor's Okay, in that apartment. And so a bunch of us English majors got together and uh, decided that we would study as a group. And there were there was real concern because there were so many really talented people that they were going to have to hand out distinction like candy. Uh, and this was not something that, really, mm-hmm. that people thought was a good idea and so on. But there were a lot of really high talented people. I, Um, who went on to get their PhDs. Um, so every morning around 9, 9.30, people would come down to our apartment. There were probably 80 or so people. And we would sort of start studying, you know, some of the literature and so on. And, and by about 11 o'clock, you know, things were beginning to fade away. And it was time, you know, didn't necessarily concentrate too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that sort of thing. Well, the result was that no one got distinction. It was quite the scandal. Not one of us got distinction. Uh, got distinction. And uh, Ish, uh, you know, you know, when she set up the 1933 Society, mm-hmm. I said, "Well, I'll be happy to work on that, Ish, but understand." Uh, uh, I didn't get the yeah. <laughs> And so one of the things that they did, by the way, when I, in 2019 when I retired, was they made me an honorary member and gave me a million dollars. So that was very nice. Okay. So yes, that was a great thing. And I took my comps in Weimar because there were so many students 
uh, no, excuse me, not, in Wales. There were so many students that Weimar was full and it was all. So and, there was and, and actually Wales. overflow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, okay. And I sat between uh, two people. One was a phys ed major and one was a religious studies major. Uh, and the phys ed major was done. <laughs> and everybody was like, and, yeah, yeah, thanks. And, and the religious studies major was sitting on the other side. He was a wonderful fellow. And also just, you know, what we were used to refer to as a casualty of the revolution. Yeah. Okay. Um, I remember the afternoon Friday, last Monday afternoon session, they said, you know, 20 minutes or whatever. He said, oh, man, i got to get my shooting gun. <laughs> uh, I was like, okay. So you see now you say that I'm feeling way better about my comms experience because I did not have to look up at all and say, man, I, could, I had had that moment four years yeah. earlier when I realized that we were going for a couple extra spins, yeah. but not in comms. I didn't realize that. I... <laughs> no, I, well, that same, I, I remember it because the afternoon question for me uh, was, was on American literature. And basically I think it was something, you know, write an introduction to, an anthology of American literature. <laughs> okay. And, you know, what works would you include in, in that sort of thing? And so I was like, you know, it's furious. Anyway, and it got to be about math and art and everything. And I realized, oh, God, I don't know anything about theater or about drama, uh, medical literature. And so uh, I remember the sentence that I realized American theater really begins with Eugene O'Neill. So <laughs> just forget everything before that. Everything and, before that, don't uh, worry about yeah, it. Yeah, don't worry about it. Because uh, I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> And in those days, we did not have uh, the tradition of standing, everybody waiting outside for you. And I took my, or speaking of the faculty homes and what have you, my, I had my orals in Helen Louise's living room. Uh, we all did. And when you, you know, you went out there and you were the only person standing outside. And when the person before you came out, that was it. There was just one person waiting Handshake, to, go congratulations. to go in next. Yeah. And they didn't tell you whether you had passed or not. So you, you came you, up. You would walk out and just be. You. They would wait until everyone was finished before you were informed by the registrar's <laughs> office that you had passed. And I'm guessing very nice letter that comes out, uh, there, or did they just give us a phone call? And, hey, yeah, that, that sort of thing. But um, you know, it was a, a, a situation where you know no, there was none of the yelling and screaming and all that kind of stuff. And that when I came back to teach nine years later. That had become the tradition. The tradition. Okay. Uh, and, you know, the classic Bethany. You do something once, it's a tradition. You do it twice, it's an institution. Um, and I was stunned by that because, you know, when you went in to take your oral, there wasn't anybody else there and there wasn't anybody else when you there came out because, because you didn't know if yeah. you passed or not, much less got to see. Well, uh, I think that's a good place. We'll take a break. Uh, right. Send it to Karen Dunn, KJ, with Maple Shades Outdoors. If you haven't yet, follow him on Instagram. Subscribe to him on YouTube, um, and then he's gonna—he'll he'll tell you about more about Maple Shades Outdoors. We're gonna come back, and Dr. Cavill is gonna tell us about that nine-year journey, and then what happened when he came back to Bethany. And uh, as I called you be before you came on today, I was telling everybody uh, that works with the show. Uh, it's basically the voice of—it's the voice of my Bethany. You were. You were baccalaureate, you were the voice of graduation, you were the voice of um, matriculation, I mean, everything that, every time there was a big thing that was, you could, you knew the voice. So, we'll get back, we'll be back and we will talk about that, but uh, go ahead, KJ, take it away. What's going on, everybody? 
This is Kieran Dunn, founder of Maple Shade Outdoors. You're currently watching Dingo Talk with my man Carlo. If you're anything like me and you're really enjoying this content, you should like and subscribe his page. While you're on YouTube, you should probably just head over and like and subscribe Maple Shade Outdoors. Check out our page, enjoy some videos, some outdoor content. You might as well hop on Instagram, Facebook, follow us, Maple Shade Outdoors. Now that's enough about me. I'm trying to get back and watch the rest of Dingo Talk. So I'll talk to y'all later. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagno. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week is Dr. Gary Kappel, class of 1974. Uh, we left off with comps, which is a completely different comps experience than probably most of the people that have at least been on the show, minus maybe Ken and Jack, I think, would be the two that had a different mm -hmm. comp experience. Um, so you graduated, and you had hinted earlier that you weren't sure about grad school. 17 years of schooling, you kind of wanted to... So what was the, the final decision? Well, uh, I left Bethany, and uh, that summer I got a, I was a roadie uh, for a lighting outfit out of Ambridge. And so for the summer I did concerts uh, and that sort of thing. And then at the end of the summer that kind of really dried up. Um, I actually ended up working at the bookstore there at Bethany for three weeks for the fall rush. And people would come in and say, didn't you graduate last year? Yeah. yeah. But then I got on at the uh, news register in, mm -hmm. in Wheeling. Uh, David Jolliffe, my good friend, uh, was already working there as well as a couple of other engineers uh, working there as to, uh, uh, to and, and And actually, Paul Burig, who was the sonographer for me, Paul graduated in the 50s. Um, so, anyway, they, uh, I worked there for two years as a copy editor. Then two years, I was transferred to Parkersburg, and uh, that convinced me that the newspaper business was not what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I realized I could go to another one for the next 30 years, change the, the dateline and the number of dead and injured, and mm -hmm. it would be the same story, you know. Uh, and so I decided that it was time maybe to go to graduate school. And I had also, as I said, I said earlier, uh, I realized that English was not what I wanted to do. I was really sure I should have been a history major uh, all along, which inevitably comes down the yeah exactly. Uh, and so I was able to uh, uh, I, after two years there, I entered WVU in the fall of '78 uh, uh, as studying history. And uh, the first year was on my own. And I had a lot of ground to make up. I had read a great deal as an English major, but I had a lot of history. And if you're going to be a history major, you better like to read. Yeah. Uh, and, and so uh, I spent an awful lot of time on that first year, that whole year. And then the next year, I got an assistant chef and I finished my master's. And then I went through more years uh, of my coursework uh, for uh, the doctorate. And I took my doctoral exam. Uh, my fields were uh, Renaissance Reformation, British in 1660, modern European diplomatic, and my outside field was Victorian literature, nonfiction prose. Um, then the question was okay, now I have to do my dissertation, what am I going to do? Well, 
David Judy, who was still here in the theater, mm -hmm. now Dr. Judy, called me and said, I want you to come and do the technical work in the theater for me for a year. I knew that. I have to be an assistant. $6,000 room and board. You get to live in the basement. You get to live in the dungeon north uh, <laughs> in Moreland, okay? Uh, and it's like nothing else on offer. Then I'll jump at that. Um, that sort of thing. It was more money than I had been making. I was a graduate assistant. I was given for, oh, embarrassing amount. No room and board. So six thousand plus room and board sounded pretty good. Yeah. So I came up here in the fall of '83, and the idea was that I would just stay for a year, and then I would go do my dissertation and finish my PhD, and you know, I'd go on with my career. Well, uh, I immediately got plunged right into so many different things here. Uh, people who had been my professors were now my colleagues, and they would come up to me and say, oh, Gary, you know, the students today are terrible, but your, you, your class was just wonderful. And I can remember these very same people nine years before telling us, ten years before, telling us how terrible they were and how much better the students were in the 60s than they were uh, when I was a student. So that was my first inkling that uh, complaints about your students are probably Real. Uh, or, or it might, be, exactly. might yeah. be a little bit more. So a matter of perception, yeah. right? Uh, uh, that sort of thing. So um, I was doing all the theater, uh, and we, again, we were still doing three, four productions a semester. Uh, Miss Nicholson was bringing in dance companies. I hated dance companies. They were <laughs> really, really hard to watch, uh, and that sort of thing. But that was for college, uh, and that sort of thing. And then in the spring of my, that first year, man who was teaching European history at the time, uh, fell ill with cancer, and he was, he had had years. and so I took over his class uh, at midterm, and uh, did pretty well, and so they asked me, why don't you stay for another year and teach a couple of history classes and still do all the theater, mm -hmm. and I said, well, okay, I'll do that. Um, and that went pretty well. Uh, and then uh, they came up to the end of that year, and they said, well, why don't you do that again? And I said, okay, but I've got to do my dissertation at some point. Uh, and so that's when I moved, actually, to uh, Mr. Taylor's house mm -hmm. and his apartment, uh, that sort of thing. But even with that minimal salary, I was already saving up money, and uh, I needed to go do my re research in London. Uh, and so, uh, I, in the summer of 1986, uh, I spent the summer in London, uh, did my research, came back, discovered a book that I had ordered before I left, uh, was basically my dissertation, so that was shot down. <laughs> uh, my, my, my advisor at WVU was very good, and he said, we have one piece of it, you can expand. I, I never really wanted to be a scholar. I was doing it for the union card. Uh, and I wanted to be a teacher, which is why you come to a place like Bethany. Uh, and uh, that sort of thing. And so uh, I finished up the dissertation in the spring of 1987. And, and finally became a full-time faculty member. Actually, I've been part-time this first year. Uh, four years, actually. And... Uh, 
began teaching full-time history, but also keeping a hand in theater at the time, uh, off and on. And uh, over the years, uh, that, that I ended up, uh, I dabbled in administration, uh, and I started to pinch hit and for different kinds of things. And in fact, I became sort of the utility infielder uh, for a lot of things. You mentioned Bob Sandercock yes. earlier, uh, a wonderful man uh, who had, I think, served as virtually every single administrative position on this campus in his career here, including, it, it including president. Was, yeah, at least once. Exactly. Sometimes uh, my memory repeats there. Yeah, but. and I like to think of myself that way, that I would, you know, step in. I was interim dean. I called uh, I was chair of interim chair, then I was chair of the departments. I ran the uh, freshman seminar program where I was on sabbatical. Uh, you know, it's over the years I did all those kinds of things, but I never did them full time. My teaching was always what I really wanted to do, uh, and I was doing it in exactly the right place, uh, that place where I wanted to do it. When when we graduated, I mentioned that. on to have careers in, in, in the academy. And when we were finishing up, in fact, we all said, we're going to go off and get our PhDs and come back. And there's just going to be a whole group of us yeah, here. Exactly. Uh, and I don't know why it was that the gods decreed that I should get to live out that You were the one. hope, yeah. <laughs> but but I will be forever grateful. Well, and that, maybe that comes back to the, being a disciple of Christ well, and Alexander Campbell having being on the shoulder, and hmm. you were the maybe maybe a transplant or, or transfer, yeah, yeah. but well, you yeah exactly. And and when when I did come back to teach, Miss McGuffey always forgive because I'd been away for nine years. I was ABD by that time. I was going to finish my doctorate, and uh, even though I wasn't an English major, English I was history. English majors can do anything, and so always forgiven and held. Over the years, I, you know, it, I got to do in my my life exactly what I wanted to do, exactly when I wanted to do it, um, and uh, not a whole lot of people can say that uh, over time. Uh, and there are so many great things about being a professor. Uh, Richard Kenny, some a name that's familiar to you, I'm sure. Uh, Richard. I, the best thing about this job is they pay you what you need. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier. Uh, and that's certainly true. Mm -hmm. uh, that's part of the game. Again, if you, if you don't like to read, history is not your field. No. <laughs> uh, and to this day, I, you know, I have a deal now with my wife because I got rid of about half of my administrative history after I retired. I've still got a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm still allowed to buy books, but I have to give them to the library once I finish them because uh, we're not getting any more books in the house. Uh, <laughs> that sort of thing. Another thing about this job uh, was that I got to travel a lot on someone else's dime, yeah. basically. Um, the whether it was the college, uh, I was uh, part of a USAID grant we had, and so I got to go to New Zealand and teach. 
Mary in Christchurch, summer. Carol uh, Vance and I took Luke to Vietnam uh, for an ACA grant, did another ACA grant. I got to go to Mongolia. Um, I went to Bradley Seminar, Prague, Berlin, uh, Harvard, MIT, uh, Seminar on Nuclear Weapons and Arms Control. Um, then they're taking students places to, to the Gambia, uh, to London. And I'm sure, I'm sure my, my director, Frankie, will be very happy that you refer to it as the Gambia because I, I you know, we, we, we had a show, we've had two shows together, mm -hmm. and we were talking the one day during, the, during one of the shows, and I, I, right before we go on to record, I asked him, is this okay, how to say your name, and is this what, is this how you say, we're, is mm -hmm. it Gambia or is it the Gambia? And he goes, no, you're fine. We come into the intro of the second part, and I go, this is, everybody knows, this is Frankie Doodoo -doo Tall. Actually, it's Frankie Doodoo -doo Real Tall. That was strike one that I got wrong. The second one was, I didn't, you know, you, you, came from, you came from Gambia, and you went to Albany, New York, and all this. And he goes, yes, but no, it's called, it's the Gambia. So now I got two times where, you know, the, the people, the pundits that want to, you know, there's there's certain things that people look for. That's a nitpick, that mm -hmm. but I it's one of those things now. So I'm very clear on the mm -hmm. the Gambia. But so you you came back and and you said as a as a fat member of the faculty you realized that the oh you guys were such better students. Uh -huh. So how have the students changed since oh. your first year here back teaching to your last year in nineteen? They've gotten much. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, you know, I always used to say, I, if you go to a professional meeting, you know, like the ACA conference or what have you, or any kind of meeting, you go there freely for two reasons. The papers, the, all of that stuff is just nonsense. But you go there for two reasons. One, to be reminded uh, that your students aren't any worse than anybody else's. <laughs> uh, because faculty will sit around at the bar and complain about their students. Uh, and, you know, you realize, eh, you know, I'm probably and the second reason is to go to be reminded that, that there are just as many horses per course uh, on, on, on other people's faculties as there are on yours, um, that sort of thing. So um, certainly students have changed. There's no question about that. And clearly, and I, I mentioned this earlier, by the last few years of my volunteering, it was clear that I was moving farther away from the students okay. and, and they from me and my style of teaching was not as effective, I think, with some of my students, as many as many of my students, as it had been at an earlier time. Because for them, what I did, chalk and talk, okay, uh, sage on the stage, um, was not the way they were accustomed to learning. Um, it doesn't mean that they couldn't do it. Uh, the you know, whole learning style thing. So that is, even the learning style of the student that's coming to college. And not, we're not, I mean, obviously you've, you've been at Bethany, so you've seen it firsthand here. Yeah. But as a whole yeah. in the country, we're educationally, there's, I don't want to call you the old guard, but you're almost <laughs> the old guard of. Well, oh, no, and that, there's no, I don't mind being called that. I, when I was in graduate school, I was thinking about this earlier today, 
um, by probably about 1980, I started in 78, so it was right about um, we had a guest speaker uh, at the university, a man named David DeLauro, who was the premier scholar in Victorian studies. Uh, literature is one of my fields. And uh, WVU, by the way, published uh, one of the best journals in Victorian literature called Victorian Poetry. And Harold Menz, Dr. Menz, worked on that when he was a graduate student at WVU as an editor. Oh, I said among me. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Again, you know, squirrel. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Anyway, uh, Delara, this was, you know, 40 years ago. Basically, his lecture was, we've lost the best that is known and thought in the universe, uh, which was a quote from Matthew Arnold. Um, and uh, that modern society has kicked the most important things uh, to, the, to the curb. And one of our professors, one of my professors, Dr. Stadler, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. There are no humanities. And I realized at that point, and I was like, so I was a dinosaur. Um, and over the years, that has become more and more obvious. Uh, and again, that's, you know, as you say, society itself is moving in, in different directions. Um, the kinds of things that I think are important. Uh, are no longer considered mainstream. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure that that, ha that happens to all generations, but I think uh, in this day and age, it is particularly uh, prominent because of the, the ubiquitous ubiquity uh, of the internet and so on, mm -hmm. and how knowledge has expanded so rapidly. Um, I I feel as though what I thought, you know, the things that everybody should know yeah. uh, are, are not not that. And of course, I realize now as well that you know, that's a cultural issue as well. You know, I'm saying, well, you should know all the dead white males, okay? Because I'm going to be a dead white male sometime, <laughs> but I'm, a, you know, live long enough now. Um, and uh, I don't really have time for all this other stuff, okay? Um, and yet, over the years, and you didn't take junior seminar with me. Uh, no, that's fine. I'm, that's I'm part talking of to someone off. Okay, that's part uh, of it. We talked. Okay. We talked to the, the people. That's why okay. they're here. Um, I always would start uh, a junior seminar and my freshman seminar for that matter with an article by a man who was the president of the American Historical Association, which was the Premier, a professional organization for historians in the United States. Uh, he was president in 1983, and he gave his inaugural address in which he titled it Myth History, okay, in which he told us that really, you know, we're storytellers. Mm -hmm. uh, the history and myth are one of akin because they both explain how things came to be by telling the story. But most importantly, what he, his plea was for uh, was for the fact that those stories that we as historians have been telling have been relatively narrow, and we have to expand them because the world itself is expanding. And he talked about uh, what he called an ecumenical history, 
i.e. a history that brought more and more all of the various peoples of the world and the past into that, into that narrative. Because if you have your own little narrative, um, and it's 500 BC, and you're not going to meet anybody more than 50 miles away from you, mm -hmm. that's okay. But, you know, those people are going to have their narrative, but it, it's going to be all right, okay? Uh, well, that's not true anymore. Uh, we're, it, it is a, you know, one world, okay? It's a, it's, it's a small world after all. And, and we collide with each other, uh, and our stories, uh, our story and your story are different, um, but that they, can be very dangerous, yes. yeah. Uh, particularly since you know a lot of people now have nuclear weapons, uh, yeah. and and, and, that's and everybody has a, everybody has a red button that they're just exactly. sitting there yeah. like. Uh, and so, so McNeil W. McNeil's point was, we as historians need to expand our our, our study uh, and to bring more and more people into the narrative. Uh, I'm not sure that. Uh, my discipline has taken that to heart. Instead, uh, what I saw increasingly mm -hmm. is that tends to it's tended to fragment over the past 30, 20, 20 or 30 years. And that instead of bringing everybody together, we are, if anything, creating ever smaller stories. Smaller, yeah, yeah. everybody has um, their own sect. Exactly, and, and it's, it's <coughs> not me. particularly effective, I don't think, for, for holding societies when I thought, I always thought as a, because I, I, many people don't know, I, I, I was a calm guy at the mm -hmm. end of my time, but I was an education guy, I was a, I was a history major for uh, two semesters, um, and it always, it always was interesting to me, like I, I was actually telling Serenity off camera earlier today about Dr. Lippman, and how mm -hmm. I was in World Civ two as a first semester freshman. Mm -hmm. It was a class that I said I was interested in history and the registrar put me in it. Right. And he kind of like Dr. Farwell gave that listen, this is a very difficult class. This is the way it's going to be. If you don't feel that you're good and you, that you're ready to be in this class, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to start writing on the board. <laughs> and when I turn around and take attendance, if you're not here, no harm, no foul. Yeah. Well, I wrote a paper for Dr. Lippman. He sent me an email back said, hey, you did a really good job on this paper. It was a Tuesday, Thursday class. I didn't show up on Thursday. He called me, left his phone on the podium, came to my dorm in CV, answered my phone, and said to everybody, we're not going anywhere today until Carla decides to come to class, which was my freshman year mm -hmm. compared to where I went, which was, um, I feel that we didn't really have to go to class. You didn't, you didn't. It was, as long as you did the work, everybody was kind of, it became very relaxed. But I noticed in the history department, you know, uh, Mark Peterson and political science, right? And Stephen Corelli, mm -hmm. and um, actually, I, I'm Mark Sable, who lived mm -hmm. in, in, in this apartment here, um, they were, and, and Dr. Lippman, they were people that it was, everybody in the department was different. They all mm -hmm. had, you know, Dr. Corelli, and I, I made the joke to, to Serenity being a history major that, you know, uh, the Puritans, and you're going to hear the Puritans repeated in, in class for the first month of class, and if you don't know how to spell Puritans, you weren't listening, because it's been on the board. Um, Dr. Sable was very, like, mm -hmm. I never, I, I got to know Mark on a different level once I graduated, and, you know, I worked at the bar, and that mm -hmm. was his, that was his release, where he was, he was our advisor at Alpha Sig, different things like that, um, 
and then you know you and I have kind of because of the, mm -hmm. the the coffee club down here at Chambers, we have become kind of just you know the stories that we can tell. Um, but I always found it interesting that you, that the history department specifically seemed to be it was like you were the you were the the guard, then there was Doctor Corelli or Doctor yes. Doctor Corelli who was. Kind of that in between where it seemed like education had started to change when he became a mm -hmm. professor, and then mainly Mark Peterson, who was like the new. Yeah, this is how we're behind. Yeah, um, so it was just it was an interesting thing here at Bethany that it was generational for the history right. department. Well, and also you made an interesting point about the fact that we're all so different. Uh, that was one of the things that struck me as a student. When I came to Bethany, is that my prof the, all the professors were so different, and they were so individualized, mm -hmm. uh, and yet they somehow seemed to get along in this little place. Now, when I came back to teach, I realized that that was on the surface. Uh, uh, <laughs> you had groups, and yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's, a, it's a Henry Kissinger said that uh, the reason faculty politics are so vicious is because the stakes are so small. Um, but what really, you know, all these people who were very different from each other seemed somehow to get along. Whereas where I had come from in New Martinsville, New Martinsville everybody was the same. Okay? Yeah. Um, there was no... Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so uh, that was one of the things that attracted me. And as you say, I, we have our different approaches. Uh, Dr. Lozier, whom you probably didn't know, he retired before you came. Jack was, came from the social science side of, of the okay. discipline. I'm a humanist, okay? Uh, I am interested in the individuals uh, rather than the larger uh, social trends and so on. Uh, and there is a big, huge debate within the discipline. Are we a social science or are we a humanities? Well, I come down very strongly on, on the humanities side. side. Uh, that you know, that sort of thing, and frankly, I, I, that's not really where the mainstream discipline is anymore. Although I think it's it's coming back uh, a certain way uh, in, in certain ways. Uh, but for me, the study of the past is really a study about what it means to be a human being in a specific set of circumstances, uh, and individuals matter. Sorts of things. And it will always matter. It, yes, it's, uh, and and while you know the, the the study of peasant culture and individual common man, that's wonderful and, and that that has its place. Um, the common man doesn't have the ability to make decisions that affect himself no. uh, the way someone who is in a position of power. And so, for me, what you my interest was in those people who got into the. That's that, that sort of thing. Uh, so I always tried to tell my students at the beginning of the semester, you know, yes, you're going to get a lot of names taken over the course of battles, but that's because they matter. Okay? <laughs> uh, and, and history is not just that, but you have to start there. Yeah, okay? That's the, that's yeah. the base. Yeah. And it, then you... History is not what happened, it's what we say about what happened. Okay. And so we have to make sure we know what we're talking about first. Uh, and that sometimes, that's why you have to read so much. Um, 
So, and you've touched on this. This is the, the, the we've come to the final question. Okay. This is the, uh, and then you've touched on it multiple times. Why Bethany? If you're talking to somebody that's a junior in high school or a senior in high school right now, and they're looking at the a smaller okay. smaller college, mm -hmm. why Bethany? Okay, I would say that the greatest strength of Bethany is the ability to to allow you to do what you want to do and to support you in that. If you don't want to do too much, you can come to Bethany. And, you know, It'll be boring. vegetate for four years. Yeah, and you'll be bored. But if you want, are willing to put forth the effort, every one of my colleagues and administrators as well, and also other students, uh, will support you as you do that. So you come and there's no club for what you want, fine. If you come and you want to study something that we don't really have, We'll figure out a way to accommodate to, get, to, to accommodate that exactly. So uh, I learned more about fashion over the past five or six centuries from one of my students, Sarah Sebatik. I remember Sarah. I know the name. But Sarah always did her papers on the fashion of the period, uh, and that was fine for me. I mean, I said I learned as much from her. I, I, as and I hope, it. yeah, she learned from me. And and she's just one example uh, of going back 30 years. One of the best senior projects I ever had uh, was on, uh, 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 come on, less, this is terrible, uh, the invention of the electric guitar. Um, Les Paul. Les Paul. There you go. I, I, when you said uh, Les, I was like, I'm trying to think of names that would. Les Paul, exactly. And the invention of the, uh, of the electric guitar. Um, so I learned as much from my students as they learned from me over the years. And so I would say to someone, you will become a teacher as well as a pupil mm -hmm. here. Or you can become a teacher as well as a pupil here. Uh, and again, there's always going to be a great deal more that I don't know than I do know. And if you can help me learn something new, you become valuable to me. Well, Gary, that's a great place to stop because okay. not only are we going to send it to Harry Chambers and have him talk about the store, okay. before we send it to Harry Chambers to talk about the store, him and Jack, uh, we started this little mini-series. It's called Jack's Facts, History is a Magic. Okay. Through Jack's eyes, it's everything about uh, his time here at Bethany and the mm -hmm. things he saw. Uh, so we're going to send it to Harry who will send it to Harry, okay. who will then kick it to the, the outro. But I wanted to say thank you. Um, well, thank you for having me. It was, it, it's, it's, I, I truthfully enjoy and appreciate hearing. It's, it's great to have people on that I went to school with. But I know what yeah. their Bethany was like. Because I, I was there. Mm -hmm. I, wasn't, I wasn't even a thought in 1970. <laughs> so to hear what Bethany was like and the, and the people that came here just in the, the lecture series and whatnot, I think it, it was great. So thank you very much for being here. Um, we'll give a, Christian, you want to take your cheers picture? We'll get a cheers here for, but uh, thank you. And Harry Chambers, go ahead and take it away. Another legendary landmark in Bethany, the, the Round Barn. Yeah. What do you remember about the Round Barn? I remember 
Imagine doing that now where a college would have a, its own dairy herd and its own gardens and, and feed its, its students. Pretty, pretty neat. One, you just watched another exciting episode of Dingo Talk, recorded in the secret lair deep in the hills of Bethany, West Virginia. Let me give a shout out to my man Don over at Maple Shade Outdoor. He got some great, he's got some great stuff going on over there on YouTube and Instagram. Please make sure you check him out. Also, now available as promised, we have the second edition Bethany, West Virginia, Mushroom Capital of the World t-shirts, and our Chambers General Store, if we don't have it, you don't need it t-shirts, available in all sizes. So make sure you stop by the store for a t-shirt, breakfast sandwich, our sausage biscuits and gravy, and make sure to check out those daily lunch specials. Now back to you, Dingo. Bye now.